This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Vacation. You're back. We're back. I love it. Man, tell me about Mexico. Yeah, I, you know, uh, first of all, thanks for, for being patient. For some of you, I know we got a few posts on the site about, hey, I need a, a podcast. I'm having a, you know, it's been a drought. And it has been a drought, you know. So, <laughs> you know, first off, I was in Mexico for the, for the one week, for the first week. And, uh, I mean, just just great i mean that's uh you know loreto mexico is is i love going there they have their own airport you fly in there um the resort's nice they have tremendous food um white sandy beaches uh, clear blue water you know water's 85 degrees 80 degrees whatever it is it's nice and warm um very few people nobody comes up to you and tries to sell you oranges or chicle or whatever none of (laughs) none of that zero zip um it's not like Cabo. You don't have to fight for a chair, um, like on the beach or at the swimming pool. Right. You, you could go down at 2 o'clock and find five chairs if you need them. I mean, it's just, it's a slower pace of life. And that, I mean, you know, I'm 40. I don't need nightclubs and this, uh, you know, that's not what I'm after anymore. So as long as I can get a bucket of beer and, you know, put my toes in the water, I'm, I'm pretty well set. So I don't want to encourage too many people to go there because I don't want it to get too busy, but love it i mean we fished uh, we golfed golfed twice um three or four of us went golfing a couple times um did snorkeling i mean i don't know you name it we did a lot and it was awesome nice mike gundy reference there yeah yeah i'm a man i'm 40 yeah i don't need to party right no (laughs) i guess but no uh mexico was great and uh i got home sunday like midday was home monday and then tuesday morning got up at seven in the morning and and uh, took my son on his overnight field trip to the coast up towards uh, you know Florence Coos Bay up in that area so um you know you and I weren't able to record the next week just because I was out of town again you were having fun at the coast yeah I was having fun at the coast uh and it was uh you know it was tough just because I'd come back from vacation you know worked really hard on Monday all day and then you know Tuesday and Wednesday went into two uh zones on the beach that had zero service like i mean for extended for like four or five hours i was in an area where nada and i've I've been in coos bay that's where my sister got married i know it's it's a dead zone out there yeah yeah i mean we were at the estuary and we did some other things that were they were great it was it was it was nice it was great i was i enjoyed having the time with my son but it's also nerve-wracking you know just because there's there's never a day off as you know in this business no no, and, and I'm right there with you. Hey, we're going to fill you in on the 411 of Ducks recruiting this summer. Also going to look at some Duck football topics, maybe dive into some Duck baseball too with Waz now back in the fold. But uh, I, I really am I'm fascinated by you. I live vicariously through your vacation because I don't get one in my job. <laughs> uh, you You mentioned the first thing you did when you got back you wanted a burger and a beer. And that made me laugh because I did the same thing when I visited Japan a yep. couple of years ago. Yep. Uh, loved the food, loved the people. First thing I did when I got home, I needed something fried and I needed some hef. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, we, uh, with the way uh, the flight worked back from Loreto, um, you're either getting in like, like you leave Saturday at like four or five o'clock is when the flight leaves there. You, you, you pick up an hour coming back, so that there's a time change, one hour. Um, but in, in any event, you, you go to LAX, and you, you got to go through customs and do all that stuff. So we, we decided to stay the night in L.A. on this trip that night and, uh, you know, just pop over to a hotel close by. Redondo Beach is right there. There's I mean, there's a lot going on right there. And so, uh, you know, the five of us that went, uh, there was ended up being six people total, but five of us stayed together then. And... Uh, yeah, we get we check into the hotel and you know everybody everybody I'm the activities coordinator. Apparently, I'm the designated activities coordinator. 
So everybody's like, where are we going to eat? I'm like, I got it. So, you know, we hop in an Uber. It comes. We head straight to this place that was, uh, what was it? Bur- uh, Rock and Brews, I think is what it was called. And I know they're a small chain that's starting up, but, you know, beer, burgers, all that kind of stuff. Right. Pretty cool. And it's got like an 80s rock theme going to it, which is perfect for all of us because we were, you know, we're all in our 40s. And, uh, yeah, we we dart right in and everybody's like, I want a burger. I'm getting a burger. I want a burger. Yeah, everybody, burger, <laughs> fries, burger, tater tots. I think one person got ribs. I mean, it was all American food. American like, as, food. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. boom, you know. And, I was, <laughs> and, and the funny part is, uh, uh, you know, one of the gals that went with my buddy's uh, wife, we got to the airport at LAX. She beelined straight to a Starbucks. I mean, just like, Phew. That's funny. Like, Where the heck did she, you know, Starbucks. She was in line, just, I mean... Like you could say, I mean, total Americana. Love the food. We, in the two years we've gone to Laredo, I we've never had a bad meal. I mean, we've had some of the most incredible Mexican food, not just seafood. I mean, you know, we're talking about mole. We're talking about the enchiladas. Mm. We're talking, I mean, just all of these incredibly done, well done dishes. Right. Um, but yeah, on the flight home, I'm thinking, man, I want a burger and I want fries and I want, you know, tater tots. And then I want to go somewhere and I want to get some Thai food and I want some noodles. And like, I was just thinking of all the stuff that, you know, you, uh, I love Mexico, but I would definitely miss those things if I was there for any extended period of time. And I love me some Modelo Negro or Pacifico. I love all that. But yeah, came home and it was like, give me an IPA. Yeah. You need that micro brew. I don't care which one. Just give me an IPA. (laughs) And then when I'm done with that one, give me another one. Yeah. Uh, Probably like what? Nine months ago, 10 months ago or earlier than that. No, you were raving about Fort George. Oh yeah. And it's funny you mentioned, Hey, I needed an IPA because Fort George blew my mind last weekend. Did you have it at Medford Beer Week? I did. Yeah. It was the the, the Craft Brew Festival here. Yeah. Three-way IPA. It was like drinking a bag of Skittles Yeah, where you eat all the flavors at once. Right. I, I, I couldn't believe it, man. No. Three-way three is... Is, is about as gold standard as IPAs get anymore. They just they blow it out of the water every year. It's, it's a different combination of breweries every year. Fort George is the only one that's, you know, part of it every year. But uh, I had that beer uh, back in, when was spring break? March? Yeah, back in March. So that's when I went to Astoria, and that's where Fort George is at. And mm-hmm. they have it there for you to taste only at the brewery. So I'd had it several months ago, but, um, yeah, I went to – Oregon Port Authority on Saturday, and they had it on tap there too. So I had a couple of those as nice. well. Yeah, no that, and I I saw you know some of your tweets. You're you're catching on with the Bubble Stash series and the you know the, the they've got three or four, and those are all great. Um, but yeah, that that is another level. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. It, I'm not an IPA guy, but right. if all IPAs were like that, right. I would be an IPA guy. Yeah, because they're not. It's not danky. It's not. It's just. It's. It's. Yeah. It's a little hoppy, but it's not over the top either. It's just kind of. It's. It's awesome. That's yeah. yeah. That's a good one. There's some good ones out there. So that's so that's all of our fun out of the way. I think we can talk football now. Football recruiting, whatever. Yeah, that's some of the fun. Um, you know, one thing, and we'll mention it here. Let's mention it here before we move on. Is, sure. Uh, Matt and I were talking, uh, well, yesterday and today, uh, you know, maybe having a, a little bit of a call-in segment on this. Matt's able to do that with the setup that he has here. So we're not going to do that this week. You know, we came in, I came in today, we weren't sure if we were going to start that. But um, moving forward, for those of you listening, you know, I'll try and post on Scoop Duck, hey, we're going to record at around 1130 or whatever, uh, you know, on, on the day we're going to record um, that way some of you can have a chance to maybe call in and ask a question or two and, right. and, and chat for a little, we'll try and keep it maybe 15, 20 minutes, I think. Um, uh, but I think it'd be fun. And if it doesn't work out, then we'll just fill that 15, 20 minutes with something else. Yeah. No, I, the, the way I look at it, we have the gear cause I have a new studio there in, in the room that it's going to sound great on this podcast. You can't see it on the podcast, but you can see it, Justin, uh, the room that's being blocked by that banner. Yeah. New studio. It has a uh, a real phone console, nice. not like the one we use in here for the interviews. Right. So I can queue up, um, I believe I can queue up three callers at once. Perfect. Of three different people can call the line. Two of them, when they call in, it just goes to hold. Sure. And then one of them we can have on the line and it won't ring. So it's going to sound really nice. Um, and I, I just think in the summertime, when... We might come in and we might spend an entire day writing down notes and wondering how are we going to fill time. Right. 
it's nice to have people that they can clue us in with their questions sure and we can bounce off them and it, and it turns into a, a really I think fruitful podcast this summer yeah I mean there's that's what we're here for is to talk about what's like current what's ever what's on everybody's minds you know I mean here we're a couple of weeks removed so if we jumped on and started talking about Chris Steele right now well, you know, we haven't had a chance to do that podcast yet, but that's not really pertinent news. Everybody's to already hit it. Yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 on. It's gone. It's done. He's you know whatever. We're, we're all moving on. So, but you know, there's been commitments you know recently that we haven't gone over, which we will. I know, but um, yeah, I think it'll be nice to have everyone be able to kind of pop in and say, "Man, I was really, you know, curious about this. What's your take on this or whatever?" And we can, uh, you know, hopefully talk to a few people at least. Um, Moving forward, moving forward. Not right. this week, people. Not this week, but we're prepping you for it, so yeah. be ready. So when we have our 15 callers asking whether Chip Kelly could hire Mario Cristobal as his assistant coach, right. you'll be ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you pop on and we say we just had that question by, Matt's just going to hit the end button. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and keep in mind, this is a podcast, so if you get on and you want to be a jack wagon and ask something stupid... We can always nuke it from the podcast later on, so it's no sweat off our backs. Uh, that's easy for you to say. It's not live radio. Yeah, well, it's not live radio where you go, oh my goodness, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't need to use the bleep button. That's right. true. Exactly. Um, it, it cracks me up. I read Scoop Duck partly selfishly. I just love to learn about this stuff. I get to use some nuggets for show prep for what I do, but I also use it to prep the pod and. Just fascinated right now by some of the discussions. Yes. You've got things that, like the Rosengarten news, that you were on it two, three weeks ahead of time. You were way ahead of the curve on everybody, and it's like old news. Right. And then you've got other things that are all just sort of teased at, rumored at, all all the movement going on. Right. It, Mario Cristobal's not taking a day off. Oh, no, never. I, 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 I can confidently confidently say that uh this has this is the hardest working staff in the pac-12 conference when it comes to recruiting i'm simply talking about recruiting mm -hmm. okay i'm not i'm not sitting here saying that you know they outwork everybody on the football field or that's something that's a different entity but from a recruiting standpoint i guarantee absolutely guarantee this is the hardest working staff at least in the pac-12 conference and beyond that they're probably in the top 10 nationally you know, yeah, Alabama, of course, they obviously they work hard at, at recruiting and you can see why it's paying off. I think, you know, uh, Oklahoma, that's another staff works hard at recruiting. You can see it pay off. Clemson, Georgia, you can see the staffs that place a big priority on recruiting. Um, I just to back that up, look at what UCLA is doing. We all know Chip's great offensively. He, he's, he's, I'm not here to bash on Chip, mm -hmm. but we all know that recruiting's not at the forefront of his mind. It's not. And I think that's a really relevant topic. I think back to the report on social media, not yesterday, but I think it was like the weekend where UCLA students are saying Chip doesn't have the trust of that locker room and he, you know, only 10 players have his phone number. Like he's right. just not connected. I, I wonder is, is it as simple as he's an old dog that can't learn new tricks or has he tried a new trick and it's not working down there? What, what do you think about that? Um, you know, I, what I think about Chip in particular is, uh, you know, case in point, you can see, uh, you know, Chip Kelly personally calling Michael James to congratulate him on his venture of owning a killer burger up in Portland. I think if you're on Chip's good side, which means that you've worked hard, you're showing up, you're doing all the dirty work that needs to be done in football, which is, you know, showing up on time, lifting weights, making your position meetings, going to all the workouts, getting your schoolwork done. If you're that kind of guy, you know, I think Chip's going to have your back if you're showing the work. I think what Chip currently inherited is a roster full of guys that Jim Mora recruited for the most part, and Jim Mora is a completely different type of coach than Chip Kelly. So it doesn't make one right or wrong. I'm not bashing either one of them. I'm simply saying, to relate to this, you're seeing what Oregon softball is probably experiencing this year, going from Mike White. Uh, I think you're seeing that at UCLA. I, I'm not sure that... I would have to wager that most of those young men that might be voicing that, if they are in fact voicing that, 
are not the ones putting in the work, are not the ones showing up to classes, are not the ones that have earned Chip Kelly's respect. Now, maybe he could handle that a little better. You know, I'm not going to dispute that to a degree. You know, and I'm certain that Chip Kelly's not like Mario Cristobal in the fact that he's hitting up their phones every night, making sure that they're, uh, you know, because Mario Cristobal does that. I mean, every, you know, Friday, Saturday night or whatever, he's making, there's a, you know, there's a couple of group texts that goes out to the position coaches. You know, they, they text their their group of, of players, making sure, hey, guys, make good decisions tonight. Don't, you know, don't get you. Don't that. be out at Taylor's tonight. Yeah, don't be, you know, just, <laughs> hey, don't be, a, don't be a dummy, you know, go have some fun, but don't, don't. You know, and I think you can see that that culture is in place at Oregon that you've even if that message doesn't get to everybody, it gets to 90 percent of the guys. And then those few outliers, they're either going to sink themselves or the other guys are going to wrangle them back in. Mm -hmm. And and that's what you that's what you got to do, because a head coach can't be all places. He can't watch 100 players. I mean, he can't do it. There's no way, especially when they're all 20 years old or whatever. So, you know, for Chip Kelly, he's probably got his small circle group of guys that he trusts, that he believes in, that believe in him. But, uh, you know, that that thing's not going to get rebuilt in a day. I mean, there, there's no way to take the type of players that Jim Mora brought in. And not to mention with the fact that they're pretty depleted along both of the lines. You can't win football games without an offensive line. Even Chip Kelly can't win football games without an offensive line. I think Chip Kelly would would immediately say that. Right. Yeah. Like it's it it's not just a football fundamental. Right. It's one that he subscribes to. Sure. You got to have the line. You got to have the quarterback. And I don't think he's got either right now. I'm not sure that he's got the quarterback that's really right for him. So. Uh, you know, I I saw a tweet that said, "Is the honeymoon over in UCLA or in El, or in Westwood or whatever?" And I I can get where that's going uh, coming from, but at the same time, at the same exact time, Chip Kelly doesn't have the pressures at UCLA that he did have at Oregon or he would have at USC or he would have at other bigger programs. No that's doubt, a, that's a basketball program first and foremost. Yeah, and that probably will never change. Football to them at UCLA in particular, is kind of like a bonus. Like, hey, if we're good, great. If we're not, let's just not have guys get in trouble at the very least. And that's kind of probably how they view it. I, I believe there's very little stress on, on Chip Kelly at UCLA. We know he's made enough money that he doesn't have to have that job. Sure, he wants it because he loves football and he wants to coach, but at the end of the day, if two or three years go by and it's not working, he'll move on. I mean, he can do that. Chip should go be an OC in the NFL is what he should have done. That's what he should have done from the get-go is just been an offensive coordinator. No personnel, you know, that he has to worry about. Don't have to manage other coaches. I'm here to coach offense. Right. That's it. Imagine, I've said this before, I thought he was going to completely change the game. When he yeah. when he comes to Philadelphia and he has Mike Vick, I thought, Goodness gracious, you know, you put him with Vic or you put him with RG3 or sure. Colin Kaepernick, one of these great mobile quarterbacks we've had in our lifetimes, or or now you put him with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Right. I, I still, I can't fathom how the NFL survived Chip Kelly. Yeah, I, I think... I think he came in a little bit too late. If his offense had gone to the NFL when it came to Oregon. Like after the Dennis Dixon year. Yeah. I think had he had had his offense not been at Oregon for three or four or five years, however long he was at Oregon, I, I think by that time the NFL hadn't maybe fully caught up, but they definitely closed the gap, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and you're seeing, you know, really right now you see in the NFL, you see a lot of teams that, you know, run a wide open offense. It's 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 four or five receiver sets. I mean, it's it's a lot of passing. We know that. And running is not at a premium. And so I think to a degree, everyone's kind of caught up with Chip, with what Chip is doing. The second thing is you can't run, you can't just sit there and run zone read or option all game long in the NFL because your quarterback's going to get annihilated. Yeah. yeah I mean, unless you have four of them on the, on the roster, <laughs> you know, you're going to get Lamar or Mike Vick or whoever decimated and then you're playing with whoever you've got after that and you're in trouble so I don't you know I don't know it just I think to me the chip's biggest problems were some of his personnel moves I think he just made some really you know kind of eye-opening personnel moves in the NFL and so far from what I've seen in UCLA he's made some real eye-popping decisions recruiting wise at UCLA 
and and not and not just guys he's taken, but almost the way he's operating. I mean, you know, telling kids that he's going to offer on the eighth of the month only, and then you know sometimes they offer kids and tell them to wait to announce it on the eighth and stuff. It's just bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean. I don't know. I I wish him nothing but success. I feel like I'm being a downer on Chip Kelly. No, no, no. And I have a ton of respect for him. Yeah. A ton. I think I think that uh, what really started this was that um, what you said about Chip not having. I think that was one player that's not doing his own job and is pissed off about it because Chip probably just doesn't. Is like, here, I'm not gonna babysit you. You you're either here to to do this or you're not, and he's probably the one that says, "Oh yeah, well, none of us like you, Chip," and everybody's going, "Who the hell are you talking about, dude?" Right. Speak for yourself. <laughs> so let's turn this back on the Ducks. Yeah. What's the biggest difference between Chip and Mario? You mean from a recruiting standpoint, or just like 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 if you could pinpoint? Obviously, there's more than one problem, of course. But if you could pinpoint the biggest problem, the biggest difference, what is it? You know, I don't think Chip's had a chance to, to, to put the culture in place at that program. And I think that's something he can do, but I'm not sure that he has the players for it. Secondly, my biggest concern about when there was conversations about him potentially coming back to Oregon was recruiting. He is not recruiting the way that he should. I know Chip is is so brilliant that he can probably win some games with a little bit less because of that. But it's way less. I mean, it's not even, you know what I mean? That's not even in the stratosphere. And, I, you know, I think you, you've got that from there. Uh, lastly, you know, Chip distances himself from the program, whatever program he's at, a pretty heavy degree. Mario Crisball, not at all. No. He overanalyzes everything. He micromanages everyone, probably almost to a fault to a degree. But Chip Kelly so far the other way that that's probably to a fault as well. So, you know. But, you know, Mario is definitely more like Nick Saban, you know, just in that regard. Was Chip that way at Oregon? Was he that hands-off? Fairly hands-off. It was definitely, it was somewhat hands-off in the beginning. And then it was really hands-off when the Will Lyle stuff kind of came out and was going Mm -hmm. through the motions. And once that kind of hit, because in you know the way I understand it, and I I feel pretty confident what I'm about to say, you know Chip Kelly loves football so much. There's nothing he loves as much as football, uh, outside of his parents. Right. I mean, literally, it's football for no, him. He's one of those guys. He is. Lock like, him in an office. Let him do football all day. There's a reason that him and Belichick are so tight. Yeah. They, they both think the same way that way. Chip doesn't go home. He doesn't want to go take a bunch of vacations. That's not his mo. He wants to do football all the time. So. To a degree, he almost was upset in the way that he literally did something that was within the guidelines of the NCAA. They might not have liked it, but it was within the guidelines. He didn't violate any rules. Right. You can give Will Lyles $25,000, whatever he gives you in returns, what you get. You know, on one end, it didn't look great, but he got, he was within his, his rights. And, you know, that really soured him that doing something that is legal almost got football taken away from him. Which is literally all he has. And so I, I think to that degree, he insulates or protects himself enough from some of this daily stuff or anything that could potentially jeopardize that again that it's probably made him even even less hands-on than he was before. So like a little spooked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. He, I mean, you know, now with, you know, with his show cause and everything out of the way, you know, he's clear. But like if anybody at UCLA gets in trouble, I guarantee Chip won't have an iota or a whiff of it going down because he will not allow himself to be that close to it. All right. So that was a lot about Chip Kelly. How, I, how I just, get there? I don't know. We got there. I've been fascinated about that just because you have an Oregon program that I know everyone wants to talk about national title next year. You're going to beat Auburn. You're going to go undefeated. Right. Vegas is all wrong. Right. And I get it, but I still see a program in transition. And when you think about what they are transitioning from, I think that's where Chip is relevant, is you you still have the shades of an Oregon legacy that we're, we're seeing it turn in Eugene and we're seeing it turn in Westwood. You're seeing glimpse of greatness, of that greatness. I think as the season went on, they became a team that you kind of didn't want to play. I don't think they had enough talent, enough depth, you know, to be competitive with the elites, but they became a 
kind of middle-of-the-road Pac-12 team, that was still hard to defend, and that's dangerous. You're talking about the team this year. I always talk about last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This year, I I really don't know, uh, you know, what UCLA... We're talking about UCLA or Oregon? Oregon. Oh, my bad. I was talking about UCLA. Oregon... um, Sorry, we're going to change the name of this podcast. You're now listening to the Weekly Bruin. Weekly Bruin, yep. (laughs) You know, I... As you and I talked about before we even started, there's 66 days, you know, until football gets going. And uh, it's... uh, I have to pump the brakes because I don't think this is a team that can go undefeated. I think this is a team that can build on what they did last year. I think the offensive line is absolutely nasty, just nasty. And I think the run game is going to be better. I think there were moments where it was pretty good last year, but consistency wasn't there. So that's the key. What really intrigues me is what Andy Avalos brings to this and what they will do defensively because that's really what's going to separate Oregon. They have a really, really tough road schedule this year um and last year they had a pretty favorable schedule so uh, i think vegas set the line at like eight and a half games or something like that eight and a half is what i read today that's i mean dude saying that they're going to win nine games is tough when you go look at you know stanford on the road washington on the road uh usc on the road and i don't think usc will be that good but it's still playing in la i mean it's just you open up against auburn and dallas i mean those are all difficult games and uh you know, and then you got to play Mike Leach at home, you know, and he's had your number the last few years, mm-hmm. reg- regardless of coach. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I think Mario Cristobal did well to win as many games as he did last year. I think he did really well. Um, it's probably going to be more of the same this year, but I think even though Herbert leaves and a lot of the offensive line leaves, I think in a year or two this team's ready to take the next step. See, I'm fascinated by that. I was thinking about this yesterday on my show. The Ducks are building the best lines in the Pac-12. Oh, by by no, not even, can't even debate that. Yes. Yeah, not at all. And if you're a football purist, you believe that you win in the trenches. Yeah. I know, I, I believe that to a T. You win in the trenches. I also love what I see on the outside of you still have a young secondary with some sweet, talent and you've got a really young receiving core that shows a lot of potential i just wonder if you're going to capitalize on that in time because you only have one year with justin herbert yeah no that that's the key but i i think tyler shuck's going to come in right behind him and and do very well i mean let's keep in mind you can be a really good college quarterback and not be an nfl prospect you don't have to be an nfl first rounder to be a great college quarterback, right? It's just it's a so it's the Darren Thomas. Yeah, so situation. I'm not sitting yeah. here saying okay, Tyler Shucks an NFL first rounder. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I do see enough from him so far that he looks to be able to lead this team and be a very solid college quarterback. Whether he'll be an NFL you know guy or not, that will depend on the years after. But <clears throat> as of right now, for him asking him to lead this Oregon offense. And be an effective leader, I think he can do that. And I think Oregon's in great shape there. So, again, I'm not saying, oh, he's as good as Herbert. Totally different guys. I mean, you're looking at totally different things. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, Herbert's got the money arm and the, and the size. And, I mean, everything you want in an NFL quarterback, he's mm-hmm. got. So, I mean, that, that makes him a very attractive NFL guy. But it doesn't mean Tyler Shuck can't be as good as him in college football. That's fair. And, and I'll, I'll say this. I think part of the reason why I'm unsure on Shuck and why some fans might be, we just haven't seen him yet. Sure. You, you get him some game time this year. Right. Certainly Civil War when you're up four touchdowns on Oregon State. And sure. Maybe some of the other games. Yep. Um, if there are any other games where you have a lead like that, I don't know. Right. But you, you get to see a little bit of Shuck this year, get Herbert some rest, and then I think you have a much clearer picture of what this team's ceiling is in year three, year four for Cristobal. Which is totally understandable. I'm not going to sit here and, and tell people, you got to buy stock and shuck. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. I'm simply relaying, and I, and I try not to do this about too many, I'm trying to relay what I'm being told about shuck, and I don't hear the staff talk about too many players the way they talk about shuck. So either they're really wrong or, you know, they see something in him, and mm-hmm. of course, he's got another year to continue to learn. So, 
I feel comfortable saying I think he's going to at least be able to manage this offense and handle things. And, uh, you know, whether he's able to go next level or be the be the dude that, you know, they need, I guess we'll have to see. But it, it feels a lot better than the quarterback position has felt in the years past. And much to your point, we started out talking about how good Oregon is at the lines. Both sides of the line of scrimmage, Oregon's great at. But what they've actually gone and done at their weakest two positions, which is wide receiver, which is defensive back in just a short amount of time, is tremendous. You've gone out and identified, hey, we're, we we need dudes at these positions. And they've gone out and find them and signed them. So, uh, you know, that's a huge testament to this staff. I think one thing that gets overlooked a lot is roster composition. And, you know, you, you not only do you have to manage how many scholarships you have out there, you've got to manage how many you've got at a certain position. You've got to manage, you know, you can't have seven freshmen all at the same position. Ideally, that's not what you want. Mario's going to kind of get stuck with that at receiver next year, but not by choice. Yeah, no, in a perfect world, you, you don't bunch it out like that because yeah. then you have seven seniors that leave in right. four years. Yeah, you got to have a couple every year, and then you're you know just kind of restocking a couple every year. Right. That's the perfect scenario. But in only his second year at Oregon, he hasn't had time to do that. But he's already overhauled the composition of this roster a tremendous amount in just one year, more than I thought was even humanly possible. All right. Yeah. Um, I guess now I would ask about, I think about some of the ins and outs of, of the in-depth on recruiting. Here are a lot of different names, a lot of guys that honestly, I don't know, but you do. Yeah. Well, let's start with this. Uh, last two commitments, you know, Oregon picked up Trey Benson out of uh, Mississippi, uh, running back, uh, and for the for those that read Scoop Duck, congrats for nailing that pick. By the way, I mean I'd been beating the banging on the desk on that one since March. You know, like dude, this is a dude. This is a and I'm telling you, and I know you know everybody. Kendall Milton's a five star. He's just down the road. Sam Adams is a, a five star, four star. He's just up the road in, in Seattle. And I mean, those guys are good players. But Jim Mastro had his eye on Trey Benson. That's the guy he wanted, and that's the name of the game in recruiting. It's not so much who's the highest ranked or you know, just going with who you can get. I mean, it's identifying, right. hey, this kid has special talents that fit what I want in a running back in this particular instance. I, this is the guy I'm going to go all in for. And he did, but he also, it wasn't like he just went for Trey Benson and then let Milton, you know, slide by the side or let anybody. He had, you know, Tyreek Murphy. He had other guys on deck ready to go if the Trey Benson thing didn't work out. It did. It's perfect. It's easy. That's how, that's that's recruiting. I mean, that's how you do it. You you go all in for the guy you want. Make sure you have some backups. And that's what, you know, one thing I'll mention about Dante Williams right now. Sure, Oregon's got, you know, Miles Slusher from Oklahoma committed. You've got Luke Hill from Maryland committed. Um, you've got uh, Avante Williams from Florida committed. You've got three defensive back commits from Oklahoma East. It's going to be tough to hold on to all three of those guys all the way up until signing day. Right. So what does he do? He's out there still actively getting commitments from, you know, Jared Greenfields and, and other guys and continuing to recruit these other guys as if he has zero commits. So at the end of the day, yeah, he might lose Avante Williams or he could lose Miles Slusher or he could lose Luke Hill. He, there will be viable replacements right there ready to go, not bottom of the barrel guys, not where you go in December or January and say, guys, we need to flip on film. I need a cornerback. You're screwed at that point if you start doing it then. Mm -hmm. But here we are in June or, or, or April or May or however long he's been recruiting these guys. And I, and I could tell you he's got several guys right there. Like, I mean, if he pushed for him, he could probably get them committed. But there's not room currently at the moment. So you just keep them warm. You keep going. You know, that, that's what I love about this staff. They're very proactive in trying to control the future. You know, not just, well, we got this guy committed. We're done with that position. Moving on. You can't do that. You you know, the way recruiting works, especially given the fact that here we are in June, headed into July, and it's six more months before any of these kids sign. Right. And you don't know what's going to happen in the next six months. You could lose that position coach from your own team. He could move across the, the country. He could give up football. Who knows? There's just, you know, tearing ACL. I think that's the, the really fascinating angle of all this. And and I've listened to uh, members of the Oregon compliance staff talk about this before. The kid might say he's committed on Twitter, 
the football team might have a, a cool photo or a sweet meme or whatever that says he's committed on Twitter, but nothing is official until you sign that paperwork. Right. And and so it, it just has my brain churning thinking about how you've got to recruit, like you're saying, Dante Williams is out there recruiting guys like he has zero commitments. Yeah. Because in six months he might have zero commitments. And you have to, And you have to recruit the guys that are committed, like they aren't committed. You, I mean, you can't, and that was one thing Oregon did in years past. They'd get guys committed and then kind of take it for granted. And this staff doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, hey, you know, they, they continue to hit those kids up every day and their parents and their coaches and make sure that everything's good, that, you know, yeah. is there anything they're missing? Is, you know, who's coming in? Who's, who do I need to worry about? Who's? I think we saw that with uh, Jonah Tawanu. Yes. Very, yeah, I mean, there's no question Mario was fully aware of what USC was, has been, and continues to try to do with Jonah Tawanu'u. Now, you can't eliminate that. You can't. It's not like you can call up Clay Helton and say, hey, stop, dude, he committed to me. <laughs> you just have to continue to be proactive on your end and, and say, hey, look, you committed to me, you signed to me, you know, what, is there anything for me to worry about? What do you need? What, you know, what... You know what what what's going on here? You know, just continue to keep and in the end, in the end, what wins you out is relationships. You have built relationships with these kids that date back to, gosh, who knows? Probably back to last year. You know, for many of these kids, it would be you know in the October, November, December months that they probably initiated, at least for most of them, the relationships. And then you continue with that all the way through spring and all the way through summer. That's a hell of a relationship you can build. Doesn't mean you're going to hold on to every kid, but as of right now, Oregon's only had one kid decommit in this cycle, even though they have 12 commits. And that was a kid they weren't. That it was a mutual parting of ways, if you will. I'm right. using fing- finger quotes here. It wasn't. A, it wasn't somebody that they were looking to sign. So it was. It was a carryover from uh, Willie Taggart. So uh, essentially, they haven't lost a commit yet. And they've had several guys committed for several months. So, you know, clearly those relationships pay off. And that's and that's all you can do. There is no, I, I think that's something fans look for. There's no way to get every top commit you want. There's no way to go out and say, hey, look, we want, these are, if a perfect world, these are the top 20 guys on our board. These are the top 20 guys. You're not going to get all those guys. You've got to have contingency. Sure, maybe this guy was ranked a little higher. Maybe... But I tell you what, at least they're proactive and ready for that. Like Rosengarten, perfect example. Yeah, went to UW, was feeling Oregon all the way. You know, it got a little crazy once he went and visited Washington. And, you know, he ended up committing to Washington. No sour grapes. It's not like Mario was left empty-handed crying in his office. Oh, my gosh, we lost Rosengarten. He's got four or five guys on deck right now ready to go. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't, maybe they graded out at like 90 and Rosengarten's a 92. But at least you're not going from a 92 down to a 74. Like, oh, well, yeah, we'll just go get this guy. He's got a plan in place. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Jalen Jeffords. You've got these other guys that are right there real close. Very good players, guys, that they covet. And so uh, that's all you can do. That's all you, you know, you you can't plan for what will happen in November and December. All you can do is continue to recruit as hard as you do and build those relationships and hope it pays off. Last year it paid off pretty well. Wasn't perfect, but it played off pretty well. But you're gonna lose guys along the way if you're getting commits in the spring. You're gonna lose guys along the way if you're getting elite four star or five star caliber players. You know, especially if they commit early, that's gonna happen. And again, all you can do as the head coach is say, "Hey, look, we're gonna keep recruiting them as hard as we can. If it doesn't work out, we have plans in place. We're gonna make it work." It's early, but just from your perspective. Are the Ducks further ahead? Are they equal? Are they behind the recruiting pace that they set last year? I think they're further ahead. Um, they're further ahead in the number of commits. I don't know that they're further ahead in the ranking of commits, if that makes a sense. Hopefully it should. Um, and I know that's something fans talk about. Well, we all, oh, Oregon's taking another three-star. Three, you know, I mean, I hear that constantly. And I get it. I understand what yeah. the folks are. The rankings are there for a reason. It's it, it's it's not foolproof, but it's a nice barometer of maybe where this kid's at. But I think there's a lot of wiggle room right now. There's a ton of wiggle room because it's the spring. I think rank, rankings play. I, I give rankings way more weight in December, January, February than I do March, April, May. Because if you just pick any kid you want, 
I don't care. Pick a kid off the Oregon commit list. Pick a kid off the USC commit list. Write down where they are today and write down where they end up in February. Right. And that's something I really want to implore Oregon fans to do with several of Oregon's current commits. Write down where they are today. Right. I mean, Trey Benson, write it down. I don't remember, but I think he's like an 88 or 87 or something like that. Write down what he is today and let me know what he is in February. I'll be darned if he's not probably around 91, maybe 92 as far as an overall ranking. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about, um, you know, number one, 91 in the country. I'm just talking about a 91 overall, which is a four star right. uh, or a 92 or whatever. And so I see not all, but I see a lot of these guys that, you know, I, I think Shipley is another guy. Uh, again, I think he's an 86 or 87, somewhere around there. And I'm just going off memory. And do I think that that's a kid that takes over and changes the program? No, he's not a 99. Don't get me wrong. But I could see that kid ending up, if he has a good senior year, being a 90 or 91 or some something there. And honestly, that's one of the best defensive ends you can find out west. Now, I do say out west because it's not a very strong year for defensive linemen out west. Now, you can go. Now, we, we've seen it. We, we see Oregon doing it now, and we saw him do it before. You can go into the uh, southeast, the SEC, and find guys like Jordan Scott all over down there. 85s. I mean, they're, they're, they're mid-level three stars. They're not nationally ranked guys. They're not the dudes. But you go bring a guy like that who moves like he does at the size he does, and you bring him out to the, the Pac-12, you've gone and you've gotten yourself a bit of a cheat code and brought him out. Because those types of athletes that big are not grown plentifully out here. There's maybe three or four in a given year at best, at best, Mm -hmm. where there's an abundance of them from Texas East. So you go and you get a Montre Edwards out of Mississippi. You know, there's a guy, perfect example, Oregon. I think he's like an 86 or something. That kid would come out here and wreck stuff. I think Brandon Dorless at Oregon signed last year is another perfect example. He was a like, like an 87 or something for most of it. He got bumped up right at the end, and I think he ended up a 90. And I'm going off memory. But that I mean, just watch that kid's film. I mean, that's against better competition. If you went and you took and you put that kid in Washington and played in high school, he would freaking wreck dudes. Right. It wouldn't even be funny. So, you know, I, I think you, you really have to try and break recruiting apart and think, okay, fine, look, this kid's in, and, and you've got to trust some, you've got to pick some people that you trust that evaluate and kind of say, look, I, I see what you're saying. It doesn't have to be me. Maybe, maybe you like mud who's on the site or QB 11, or maybe you like somebody else. Maybe there's somebody on 24 seven. You really like their evaluations. You need to go and look at those evaluations and see how it matches up. And remember that more times than not, you're bringing that talent from the East coast or whatever, out to the West Coast. That's an automatic bump to me. They're going to get a bump because that's a, a type of player that's like Christian Williams that Oregon stole last year. Dude, that dude's a dude, man. I mean, so I get it. I, I, I don't think Oregon's going to – I'll say this today. I don't think Oregon's going to sign a top 10 class in this cycle. Wow. And, and I think it's because there has been a definitive adjustment by Mario Cristobal and his staff to start trusting their evaluations a little more. Doesn't mean that they go all in. But it doesn't mean that they're going to just sit here and recruit the highest-ranked player, because that's how twenty-four-seven views them. So they're not—they're not looking at star power necessarily. Right. They are trusting their tape, watching film, watching film, watching game film, going to watch them practice. You know, finding out if this kid actually likes football or not. Um, I mean, I—I I, I said for a while, I think Johnny Wilson's a tremendous football player, a, a wide receiver that Oregon's after. I don't think he's a five-star. I think he's a solid four-star. But I don't think he's a five star, and he was a five star, I think, up until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I and I agree with it. I think he's a great player, but I also think that there are players that you can get similar to him that just aren't ranked that highly. You know, now maybe not with his measurables, but I mean, just given skill set overall, um, I, this is going to be a little bit of a different class for Oregon. I think, you know, they're out there, you know, looking at guys that fit needs and and fit holes on the roster. And they're also trying to do a number of things. They're trying to get back into Hawaii. That's a big one. You've got, you know, Faope uh, committed to Oregon from Hawaii. There's a couple other guys that are they're recruiting heavily into Hawaii. That's been an emphasis under Chris Ball. He really wants to get back into the islands, and I don't blame him. Right. It's important. I get it. So there's a, a, a number of adjustments that this staff is currently making 
because they signed a number of of pretty elite guys in last year's class, they're still going to get those dudes. I mean, a Johnny Wilson, a Noah Sewell, there's some tremendous football players that have yet to commit. Those guys typically don't commit until later. Um, and that's the way, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau didn't commit right up until the end. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. that's how it works more times than it doesn't. Um, so I think for those that are, sky is falling, only signing three-star dudes, you know, I pump the brakes a little bit there, you know, pump, you know, now it doesn't mean it needs to be Oregon's taking him. He must be a five-star. Well, it's probably not the case either. You, you've got to kind of pick your poison. You can't go out and just sign five stars at Oregon. I, it's not possible. So you go and find guys that you believe fit your system, that you trust, that you see something on film that you like, hidden gems, you know, whatever the case might be. And you pair that with some elite dudes. And I think that's, you know, I think or I think Mario Cristobal is pushing for some of these mid-level guys and saying, "Look, you better get your spot now, because we're going to get the talent later on. Mm-hmm. And when it comes, you won't have a spot." Right. And that's what he's doing. And you know, by no means do you, just because a kid commits doesn't mean you have to hold on to him. And we we have seen coaching staffs, not just at Oregon, in the past, watch a kid and maybe you know, a kid commits in in uh, July and plays a uh, you know plays football in his senior year and just you know, you go and watch a month or six weeks of his of his tape, and you think, man, this kid, you know, he didn't develop. He's not growing. He's not he's not becoming a better football player. And maybe everybody kind of parts ways at that point. That's totally possible. I don't think that's going to be a practice Mario Crispell does, you know, on a on a wide scale. But it's certainly possible that maybe some of these guys get, you know, uh, evened out, if you will, in the end. Right. So don't push the panic button just yet, people. I mean, there's. There's a lot to like about some of the commits. Some of these guys are based on upside, and you know, some of these guys are just based on a hunch from Mario Cristobal. He has an eye for talent. He's brought a ton of NFL first-rounders to Alabama in years past, and I think he's trying to do that at Oregon. I think you were the one telling me, obviously Tua, but I was thinking about Josh Jacobs and mm-hmm. thinking about you know some of the guys on the lines, uh, Jonah Williams. Yeah, you were telling me Mario had a hand in all those guys. Oh yeah, no, he. I mean, he was he was Saban's right hand man. There wasn't, there haven't been many commits that Alabama signed that Mario wasn't a part of. Doesn't mean he was the lead. Doesn't mean he did all the work, but he was definitely a part in a lot of. I mean, look at Juwan Johnson who went to Penn State. He noted. Mario Cristobal as recruiting him when he was at Alabama. Mario's never coached wide receivers in his life. Right. You know, but still, that's how active of a recruiter he is. And the dude's really, I mean, I, I don't think people fully understand how much time Mario Cristobal spends on the phone. Face Like, they will have sessions and FaceTime, FaceTime, okay, not phone call, 50 kids, like, in a day. Wow. In a day. And still get other work done. You know what I mean? I mean, like, it's relentless. I just, I mean, I, I. So, again, for those that are concerned with where the class might be at and where it might end up, yeah, it might not be a top ten class. I still think it'll be top fifteen, which is where you, you got to be top fifteen, in my opinion. But we know it's going to be a little light on numbers. It's going to be maybe twenty three, twenty four. I don't know. It's not going to be in the thirties. So just by that design alone, that's going to push you down the rankings a little bit. You know, given some of these guys that are not currently highly ranked but could end up that way, yeah, maybe getting to top 10 might be hard. But being in the top 15 is where you need to be. You're still good. You know, so if you end up at 16, 17, you're still good. If you end up at 25, you know, or, or 23 or 25 or 29, all right, what what are we doing here? What's going on? That's And then I'm with you. You know, I'm with I'm with you guys like, all right, this, this doesn't jive. You know, we can't be down in the 20s. And you can't. But you can be in, in the 15s and better, especially given the quality of class Oregon signed last year, and and be competitive, especially in the Pac-12. Because this isn't the SEC. This is a much, I would say it's a much easier conference to dominate currently at the moment. Which it seems like we say every week, but right. it bears repeating. We, again, we spent 15 minutes talking about Chip Kelly today. It's amazing to me that right now, the healthiest program in terms of staff stability, in terms of of roster development, in terms of recruiting, the the healthiest program is in Eugene. Yeah, blows me away. Yeah, I, all all three facets, like you said, no doubt. I, I think I think UW's got a great staff, and they obviously know how to develop. I don't. They are definitely not on the level of recruiting that Oregon is. You know, yes, they 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 won Rosengarten head to head, but 
Oregon's won way more battles than than they've lost yeah. to UW. Well, I, I think about it this way too, and and you hit on this last week, the negative recruiting. Yeah. If you have to do negative recruiting, you're not winning the recruiting battle. Right. That means somebody's kicking your ass. Right. And that's what Oregon's doing. I mean, you can see USC is absolutely chasing their tail, scrambling. I mean, I, I'd have to look, but they, you know, they were what did I I wrote about it. They were somewhere down in the. 40s or something in the rankings of 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 uh, 2020 rankings of of recruiting you know Oregon's in the in the top 15 right now and I think that's where they'll remain most of the time so I mean you're talking about stratospheres apart I mean not even close so uh, you know some of the offensive line commits that USC's taken currently I, I mean Oregon wasn't even sniffing those guys I, I just I, I think they're in a bit of a scramble mode and like you said if teams are having to negatively recruit against you, you're clearly doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much covers all the bases on recruiting. Uh, I have a couple questions, but I can save them for next week. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else uh, on that front that you want to hit? Uh, no. I mean, I just, it's, you know, it's hard to do this on a podcast, but I mean, things are, you know, I can say this, things are certainly looking like, they're not slowing down. It it would appear that the Ducks could be in line for a run of commits, and we'll just say to the end of June. It, it, you know, it could be, it could be three commits, it could be six commits, it could be seven. You, you don't really know. But what I can say at the as a podcast, there are several guys that are really close to a decision, and that and and you know it's. Everybody wants, oh, what day is he going to commit? And, you know, not all these kids do that. It doesn't I mean, work that it way. It doesn't work that way. There's a lot that goes into the process. So, you know, the way I want to phrase it on here, at least, is it it would appear that it's very likely that over the next two weeks or so, Oregon could, in fact, end up with somewhere between, I'll say, realistically, three to five more commits. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, things are looking good. It's it's a good time to stick to the board and kind of get a, make sure you got the text alert signed up or whatever. But... Um, you know, that's kind of where things are at. And that's, you know, that's been by design. Oregon's recruited well enough, you know, to date to make that happen. So um, I know at a certain point, everybody's going to say, where's the four stars? Where's the five stars? Those guys just don't commit early in the process. They don't, um, at least not to the schools out West typically. So other than quarterback, most of the other four and five star guys will, you know, take some visits. And that's another thing, you know, Oregon has been, it's not a rule. I need to be clear about this. It's not a rule, but Oregon has also been pushing guys to basically make sure they've taken their visits before they commit. Like, hey, look, are you thinking about taking more visits? Yes. Okay. Why don't you go take them before you commit? You know, they they aren't wanting to reserve spots. That's not what they're doing. Now, it's not a foolproof plan. It never can be. They're not sitting here telling kids they can't take a visit. You're going to lose more kids than you keep by doing that. Mm -hmm. But they are making an effort to at least relay, hey, look, we, we really don't want our guys taking visits. You know, that's just, this. you know, you commit to us. We're, you know, we're, you know. And so that's kind of a process. Again, it's not Mario Cristobal saying with a finger, you can't take a visit. That's, you know, you know, UW does that. And I, it doesn't help them. Um, so again, I know that's something that's going on too. That's, you know, that's why maybe there's not as many commits now as there was at this point in time last year, because they have started doing that this year. Like, Hey, if you're even thinking of taking other visits, go take them, please, please go take them. If you still want to come be with us, let's rock then, you know? And and I think I, I, I appreciate that approach at least. Yeah. No, I, I think it's admirable. We've hit that hit on that before. Um, the the understanding you have to have with young players of just like like you're saying, kids that are thinking about committing in June. That's not easy. Right. And we we've been there. Of when you decided where you were going to go to college, and when I decided where I was going to go to college, it's not something you do lightly. Right. And we don't have a football career to think about. Right. And, and at the end of the day, these kids are 17, 18 years old. This is the single most biggest decision that they've ever had to make in their life. This is the first one. Yes. I mean, more likely than not, this is the first. You know, Mom does the laundry. Right. Dad picks them up from school. Food they, magically shows up in the fridge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, this is the first big, and it's a big decision. I get it. Um, you know, a lot of us would, you know, be 
certainly happy to be in their position that most of them are in, but but we're not and we aren't. And, we you know, you got to let them kind of respect and let them, you know, make their decisions and go through the process. And I tell you what, I mean, I've said this before in a private privately. I mean, you know, if social media and, and all these cameras and videos were around when I was a teenager, I kind of shudder to think what would have been said about me on social media or some of the shenanigans I pulled. So right. I, I think we lived in fortunate times. Yeah. Well, you can say that you're a man, you're 40. Yeah. I know yeah. for me, I, I can do a Google search and I hope I don't find my old MySpace page oh, and man. all the sappy poetry oh, I wrote in high school. Oh, I know no. a lot of bad stuff oh, in there. No. Um, oh, man. I was, I was that kid. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much enough for today. I don't want a bunch of no, Facebook PIs snooping on. That's right. No, yeah. Everybody's looking up Matt Bagley. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll be totally honest. I'm fully aware of what's going on. I'm, I'm fully in support of Oregon baseball making a move at head coach, but I don't know a ton about Waz. Okay. Let's, I'm going to defer to you, Matt. I and, am. And I know you're a baseball guy. I want to hear. What do you think? Okay, so I'm only one step ahead of you on this because okay. last week I had Joey Mack, mm-hmm. Duck Baseball broadcaster. He does a weekly hit on my show. And I feel like an idiot because I kept saying, they hired Waz. They hired Waz, right? Well, that's how I read it. Right. I'm thinking like Carl Yastrzemski, right? He was Yaz. Right. This guy is Waz. Well, it's Waz. Waz. Coach Waz. Um, excellent hire. I, I think that... The press conference, he was really nervous, yeah. and I, I don't know if that was just the guy doesn't do well in a crowd or if he doesn't do well with the media. I think it's the media. I yeah. think he's he's great from the video that I've seen of, of him work at Purdue. He commands a room. He motivates players really well, um, and he has that natural manager gift sure. of – how do I convey my objective to 30 different people? Right. All in an, all in a own unique way. Sure. And in baseball, I think that's so key because it's really a sport of individuals. Oh, yeah. Right? It's batter versus pitcher. Right. It's matchups, individuals. You've got to be able to reach every individual in your organization. Right. I think he can do that. Um and, and Joey brought up a point that really I didn't think about, but I, I think is, is really pivotal for the Ducks going forward. Was, was it Oregon? Was an assistant under George Horton? Left George Horton and took that Purdue job. But he's still really intimately connected, not just to the players on this team, but some of the kids that they're recruiting now because of the way baseball recruiting works. Right. Where... Unlike football recruiting, say you go after a 17-year-old entering his senior year, or like right now, you're talking about kids that want to commit heading into their senior year. Baseball recruiting, it's done before your senior year. Yeah. Of of these kids are on summer circuits, and they're playing Legion ball, or they're playing Babe Ruth ball when they're 13. Scouts are looking at them, and they're all signed up by the time they're 14, 15 years old. Right. Right. No, it, it's, yeah, it's it's a different animal that I don't fully understand. It's not my... I, I'm not with it either. Yeah, it's definitely not my... But I I, I felt like we at least needed to address it here on the podcast. And yeah. At least mention. And I, I'm excited by the hire. You know, I think, you know, to me, how... Uh, it seems as though more times than not, a lot of baseball and softball coaches don't come off entirely well to the media. I mean, the the, the prof- professional guys are different. They're I they're mean, used to they're it. They're very seasoned at that point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, you know, there's there's very few 25 year old skippers in the in the uh, MLB. But, um, you know, to me, that's not a massive red flag, you know, to say the least at all. And and I agree with you. He did seem a little bit nervous, but it was probably a whirlwind and you know a whole lot going on. And yeah, you know, it's one thing to kind of come back to a place you were an assistant at, and you're like, oh man. Now I'm the guy, you know what I mean? Like it's got to be, you know, pretty, uh, pretty surreal. So no, I, um, yeah, I have no issues there. And it seems as though everything he did at Purdue was, was solid. He took that program and elevated it. And that's, uh, I think that's what he can do at Oregon. You know, I think the best thing is that the cupboard's not empty. No, no, the cupboard's not empty. I know that they didn't win like we wanted them to win this year. That freshman class was fantastic. Yeah. And 
that was a team held back by injuries. Yeah. If they had a healthy pitching staff and a consistent rotation in that staff week in, week out, they make the postseason. Yeah. The question now for Oregon, I think Waz has an opportunity. And I, I really like the Mitch Canham hire at Oregon State, but when you, you note the reality of Oregon State is on their third coach in three years. Right. And you see the culture that they've developed, not just in staff, but in Oregon statewide. Right. Of, of getting to sign guys that grew up in duck country yeah. and grew up Beaver fans because right. Oregon State baseball. Waz can tap into that now yeah, and compete yeah. with that. And, and I don't know if he's going to get it done. I really like that Mitch Canham hire, but... I think that Waz has an opening to change the paradigm of baseball sure. here in the state. To finally challenge it at least a little bit because yeah. it hasn't been challenged in a while. No. No. Uh, I guess that's about a wrap. I mean, there's NBA draft night tomorrow night. But right. I, I, I hope I Liu Kang falls to the Blazers. That'd be a – it seems like that'd be a great fit for Perfect them. fit for it, them. Well, it'd be a great – and, they, you know, they have a knack for – you know, find it, guys. But with when you have, uh, uh, you know, when you have uh, Lillard and McCollum on the team already, you know, I would say Louis King's biggest downfall is his his ball handling ability. You got those guys on there. You're not really needing that. You mm-hmm. know, you're probably going to get the ball. You know, put the put the uh, you're going to get the ball and, and take two dribbles and probably be where you need to be to take a shot in that case. So um, that, that could be a good fit. Um, Bowl bowl. Just, I mean, an enigma, I guess. Biggest question mark of the whole draft to me. Yeah, I mean, when he decided to come out, I was pretty public about saying, eh, I don't, you know, everybody, oh, lottery pick, lottery pick. Like, I mean, lottery pick upside, but, you know, it could be bust downside. So where do you do? I mean, yeah. What I've read, this is a player that, he was a five-star. He was phenomenal. Highlight tape in high school was great, but... When you look at his character, and I'm not saying he's a bad guy, right? Four high schools in four years, yeah. So there's not a teacher that can go to bat for him, right? There's not a principal that can say, "I know this kid," right. or a pastor that can say, "I know this kid." He's moved around a lot, yeah. And he only played nine games at Oregon, right. so Dana Altman's not going to go to bat for him, right? Yeah, your sample size is just so minuscule, and I, I think you know you've got the injuries, you've got, I mean. Again, the same can be said for basketball as can be said for football. Some kids are tremendous college basketball players. Doesn't mean they go to the NBA and they're superstars. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a totally different game. And uh, I think the professional sports, you know, whether you're talking about NFL or you're talking about NBA, rewards those who work hard. I mean, that's you have to, obviously you've got to have that amount of skill set already. Mm-hmm. But the ones that really ele- elevate are the guys that grind and work hard and practice their asses off. And you know what I mean. And <clears throat> will Bull Bull do that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought it was great that he stayed with the Oregon team and was visible on the sideline throughout the whole year, even though he wasn't going to play. Um, but like you said, that's one year and nine games. Yeah. You know, like I to me, if I was a top ten, I probably wouldn't take him. No, I just I wouldn't. No, I I think his situation is fascinating, and I think Wooten is the other fascinating one. Yeah. Of, I can almost say, and if I say this, it's obviously not going to happen if I predict it, but I know there was that report that he got a guarantee. Yeah. To me, I see Jordan Bell. I think. After what Jordan Bell had happened this year with the Warriors, I think they might be looking elsewhere. Yeah. And, hey, maybe at 29, maybe they take Kenny Wooten. Yeah. No, I I, uh, I, I didn't realize – I guess I didn't realize there was a report of the guarantee, but the minute Wooten announced he was going to the NBA, I felt that had to be what happened. It's like, dude, somebody somewhere guaranteed they were drafting you, which, yeah. unfortunately, they a lot of teams tend to do that with several guys, but – um, I, I hope it works out for him. From what I read, no one told him first round. Right. They told him second round. Yeah. That was after that series of workouts right before he declared. But I I just, to me, he fits their bill. Yeah. Of, oh, yeah. They, they never look for the guy that does everything. No. They are like New England in football. Yeah. They look for the guy that does one thing really well. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't need... 
any utility players, so to speak, they look for somebody who is, you know, uh, proficient in their craft. You mm-hmm. know, for him, obviously, it's shot blocking. Yes. You're not counting on him to score you buckets. You know, <laughs> obviously, it's yeah, shot blocking. It's, yeah, just get him on the court and say, dude, go to the defensive end and swat everything that goes up. You yes. Know? And, and he can do that. I, you know, I, I think him, reality is I think him and Bulbul can both carve out nice NBA careers. I'm not calling them superstars or NBA all-stars. I'm saying they can carve out a nice NBA career, and it won't surprise me at the end of the day if they're both very similar at the end, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. they might get drafted in totally different places. I think they both both end up with a very similar career when it's all said and done. Yeah. No, I think that's pretty fair. So, we've hit the hour mark. Booyah! And, uh... It's lunchtime, I, right? Right. I mean, I, I kind of feel good about this. I do, yeah. Save I, a little bit for next week. And I think so. I got to go back home and teach my daughter how to ride a bike. We've been working on that since yesterday, and then she woke up today. And Dad, we, you know, so oh my gosh, yeah, she was all about it. So she's only she's eight, and so she's a little later than she hasn't had any interest. And then whatever reason, there's nothing wrong with that. No, whatever. I was I was ten when oh, I started, yeah. so there's nothing wrong with that. No, she, for whatever reason, last night, uh, uh, well, my girlfriend went on a bike ride, and then my middle son Tucker and her oldest son Gage ran because they both wanted to do cross country so she's like i'm not keeping up with them so (laughs) she probably could but she was like i'm gonna ride the bike so she rode the bike and then my daughter taylor's like oh i want to go on a bike ride next time with them i said we gotta learn to ride the bike honey so she hops on it and we're while they're gone they come back we'd worked on it the whole time and she'd gotten semi good at it and then in uh this morning she woke up dad let's go back up like right after the first one this morning after that it was she had it now she couldn't fully turn and everything but i mean she was she was pedaling and that's awesome yeah i know so she's that's awesome so it's one of those things you know when you kind of learn something new you're like oh i want to i'm gonna get it i'm gonna you know she's she's all about it now so i imagine that's what i'm going home to do now is sweat my face off running next to a bike <laughs> <laughs> cycling instructor justin hopkins that's right scoopduck.com scoopduck podcast hey thanks for listening everybody see ya I can do this now